right, welcome into a special episode of the Denver Stiff Show. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. As I said, we have a special episode planned for you today, partially because we're bringing back a couple of the same cast of characters that we had last week. Deputy Editor Zach Mikosh, Senior Writer Gordon Gross. Guys, hello, how are you? I am doing well, sir. I am happy to be back once again on the Denver Stiff Show. You didn't kick us off after one week, man, so now I'm a little nervous about your sanity, so... After we destroyed your rundown and your schedule, you yeah. still brought us back. and you had us back, so... And you even made it worse. I don't even know what you were thinking. Well, as we talked about at the beginning, I'm still very lonely because this quarantine sucks. And you can't <laughs> talk to anybody, so I guess if i got to settle for something, I can, I can talk to you guys. There you um, go. But on the other side, we have a very fun guest... The King of Thornton himself, Jeff Morton, joins the podcast for the first time. Jeff, how are you? You may be the first person who's ever described me as fun. I, I, I appreciate that, Ryan. Uh, usually it's Usually it's old. I appreciate <laughs> Every time. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate it. Oh, and, and Gordon, I didn't know. I didn't. Is, is, it sen- is that an official title, senior writer? No, no it's because I have an AARP card. It's not a. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just hand those out willy nilly just to it's, it's more of a, a throwing a bone to the to the staff just to make sure that they, they have a lot of fun and, and make some friends along the way. That's oh, exactly man. it. Oh man, I was proprietor <laughs> and no one knew it. Oh yeah, <laughs> of stiffs. I, there I was. You go. I was proprietor and and it was. It wasn't until I left. I don't know more than that. Seven years. And it wasn't before until I left. I'm like, oh yeah, I was proprietor of Denver Stiffs. Whatever the hell that means. <laughs> <laughs> Titles are great. They don't. It's not important what they mean. It's important that you have them. Uh, exactly. Well, Exactly. For those for those who don't know, Jeff Morton is probably the OG Nuggets guy that I know and that I I truly respect. He along with Andrew Feinstein, who the founder and creator of Denver Stiffs, and Nate Timmons, who had he was at Pickaxe and Roll. Is that right, or is or is that a different is that a different one? Okay, let me dispel some Andy Feinstein revisionist history here. Oh, uh oh. Um, Feinstein is the creator of the name Denver Stiffs, but he ain't the founder. This this uh, <laughs> this, this blog is a combination of two: yep. Pickaxe and Roll, and Denver Stiffs, which was Fire George Carl, which was Fire George Carl initially. But uh, he he is the creator of the name Denver Stiffs. But it, this was Nate Timmons and Andy Feinstein's baby, and uh, these those two, and then they brought me on. I think like less than a year later. And uh, we formed a triumvirate that uh, <clears throat> ruined professional j- journalism in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> if you guys, well, at least if you professional guys journalists would say so. <laughs> if you guys will believe it, Mr. Morton was the most optimistic person when he started. He, in fact, wrote a fan post article that eventually and then eventually became you know a full time uh, member of the site. But he actually wrote "Weekly Optimism" was the name of. The article that Jeff used to write—it's it's back amazing. in the day, Zach. You're bringing—that's uh, that's going back in deep into the uh, the Stiffs archives there. Yeah, I used to write that, and I can't believe that I uh, I did that because I am not an optimistic person. <laughs> the world has turned you cold. 
<laughs> it did. It did. It made me bitter. Um, but yeah, no, I, I that's, that's great. You know, and it, the funny thing is about this, it's been about three years since I've left. And I found myself drifting over to the site a couple of days ago. Because, of course, I, you know, still read your stuff and I check everyone out. And you guys have a million podcasts now. Like, and I was like, okay, well, who, what am I going to, what am I going to check out? Who am I going to look at here? And I went to the comment section and there was a lot of people I recognize still from way back when. A lot of people I don't, but a lot of people I recognize. So, um, you know, if anyone's listening to that who's an old OG commenter back when Zach and I were commenting and just regular commenters on, on Denver Stiffs, Hello. Shouts well, it really is awesome because Denver Stiffs, that's that's where I grew up on. I, I was I really started getting into the site in 2012-2013 during the 57 win season. I was a Nuggets fan before that, but but it really started becoming a popular thing to go check out the sports blogs at the time to really go understand a little bit more in depth about the conversations that you're having and and you guys were the OG Nuggets blog for sure, and and with the Nuggets being a mid market, small market team, whatever you want to call them, it wasn't always ESPN or Yahoo Sports or NBA.com. Those guys weren't really covering the team. It was it was Denver Stiffs, honestly. That was that was where the best Nuggets coverage was, and it always has been. So, I was always a commenter. I was always somebody who got into that discussion and. As you said, lots of people have stuck around ever since. You know, uh, Gordon is the last of the legacy of Nate Timmons. Yep, true. it's true. He hired me and then left. He was and like, I'll keep you around, but I don't want to work with you. That was pretty much Nate's thing. <laughs> and Zach, I think I brought you on, didn't I? Yep. Yeah. You were you were uh, you were the man who gave me the chance. I sent you a inspection resolution from my my house sale as one of my That's residents. right. <laughs> That's right. And I was, was like so man, lame. Man, this guy would be perfect for a basketball <laughs> site. It's like, well, we gotta get this shit on here. So and and then um, it's the funny thing is about that that transition time, and I've I've spoken about this at a number of times, but after Nate left, there was a massive hole. We, uh, I don't think I could ever adequately say how much it just kind of was a gut punch to Andy and me. We just were like, uh, because we had our thing. It was the three right. of us. And when Nate left, it was like, oh, God. And we deflated our balloon. <clears throat> so then we brought in, of course, Adam and uh, told Adam what Nate, what Andy and I are going to do is run you know be the proprietors of the site and you just do whatever the hell you want basically is what we said <laughs> which was so, funny because um adam did not think he was signing up for that at all so adam was like i'm gonna come right for you guys you're like now nah, you're gonna run the whole thing he's like wait i'm gonna yeah. what? okay you guys all remember that meeting right <laughs> <Yes>. so <laughs> yeah yeah that look on his face when we're like so uh how do you want to run this meeting adam he's like how do i want to run what yeah, <laughs> Andy and I were like, uh, he and I spoke before. He says, how do, you, how do you want to do this, man? I go, well, uh, you and I are not equipped to do this. Uh, we we are people who will are managers in, the, in a, se- a certain sense. Uh, Andy runs a very successful, very successful business, and he knows everyone on the planet in Denver. Um, and I had was doing my own thing, but I said, you know, honestly, someone else has got to have the the thing to do this and we kind of just pushed it on adam 
you know, this really, that really wasn't his intention. We just kind of pushed it on him and Seth Pollock was there and he just kind of said, well, what do you, what do you guys want to do? And Nate and I, and Andy and I said, yeah, just give it to Adam. <laughs> let him be Ryan. We were like, ah, pretty Ryan will be fine. <laughs> yeah. make, make Ryan do it. <laughs> but it was a, it was an interesting, it was an interesting time. And I appreciate the direction like you, uh, Ryan, you were on, you came in right after that, didn't you? I think it was yeah, the I was season. like 2016 was was the time when I came on. Uh, I was I was kind of around before that, just just hanging out in the comment sections. I I wrote briefly for Hoops Happen, and that was something I I it helped me with actually formulating sentences, but not necessarily something I really wanted to do. But getting back into it, I was I was really happy. Zach was the one who really reached out to me, and he recommended me to Adam, and and that was that was kind of where that took off. <laughs> Because I remember you commenting on the site. Uh, that, that that was my memory of you. Um, and then uh, was I still writing when you came on? Yeah, yeah. You were you were I think in the Wednesday slot for for writing for a little bit, and and you were doing it uh, kind of off and on at that point. I I know your interest was starting to wane a little bit, and and I think it was an overlap of about three to six months that we were on the on the site together. Yeah, that's right. Because then I left. I mean, the, the reason I'm bringing all this up is that, you know, I'm on this Denver stiffs, the Denver stiffs show. And I was thinking about podcasting and, and all that that has transpired. There was a time. And I think I pointed this out on Twitter to anyone who follows me, but at Jay Morton 78, um, if you, if you look back to 2011, when CSG started, there was no nuggets podcast. We were the, and we weren't even technically a quote unquote a Nuggets podcast. Sure, it was nine years ago, and and for about five years, we were the only one talking about the Nuggets as a podcast. And then suddenly, about twenty fifteen sixteen, right around there, there was about a million of them, right? And it, it was such a big explosion. And I, and one of the things that I actually have transitioned into rather than rather than writing and looking at writing and, and anyone who's listened to CSG knows my interest is, is what it is. It's very set in stone at this point. Uh, podcasting and that sort of medium, I think translates a little better to whatever 2020 is right now. And sure. I, I couldn't imagine that in 2011. I honestly could not, I didn't think CSG would last very long. And here it is nine years later and we're almost to episode 400. So it's crazy. Nine years, man. That's, that's awesome. And you guys have always had great guests on. You've always like you, I know you have a great relationship with Tim Connolly and that's, that's been one of your frequent guests coming onto the show. And, and there have been a lot of those general types who have helped create the, and helped really facilitate the Colorado sports guys name. Well, we even had Arturis Karnasovas on. I forgot that. Wow. Yes. We had Arturis Karasovas on. It was the worst interview I've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> I was about to say, Arturis has many, many skills. Um, being a deft media presence is not one of them. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you this. Not engaging. Uh, yes. I know Arturis really well, really well. And off the media sphere, he's great. Um, within the media 
kind of scope, he is definitely not. And everyone remembers the disastrous 2017 post draft con- press conference. Yep. Where he, oh, yeah. it was, it was the worst. It, the vibe of that whole night was, was just so off. Bad. That was, that was the weirdest night. <laughs> that, was, that was, that was how I knew Arturis wasn't good with the media. Cause I asked him something to the effect of, well, why didn't you just take the player you wanted at 13 instead of risking him not being there at 24. I didn't even mention, you know, any names of players, but like he just like openly admitted it was like, well, we thought the room would be divided. So like he kind of admitted like, yeah, we didn't really want Tyler Lydon. We got stuck with this guy. And like I was like, man, that's a really honest answer he just gave me. Right? Yeah. Why are you being honest with the media? Where's your platitude? Yes. Oh man. There's, there's levels to this. Come on now. <laughs> that was a that was an interesting night. You know, of course, I I'm I'm, I'm Sorry, Ryan. I just segued us into a, into our tourist car service here, but oh, you're um, he is an interesting man in the sense that he did a lot behind the scenes. Uh, very well respected in the European, obviously European. He's a legend, absolute legend in Europe and uh, Lithuania. He he was he is revered there, but particularly for what he did against the Dream Team in '92. Even though they they lost, they the Lithuanian team is really lifted up and uh, he really was able to get uh, help the nuggets with inroads into uh, scouting in, in Europe in ways that I don't think would have been possible without him. Tim Connolly was it cut his teeth as a European scout, but Artur Skarasovas really helped grease the skids quite a bit. And he, he and Raffle Juke really are the, the unsung, well, semi-unsung heroes of the Nuggets ability to scout European players. Well, they've, they've had a lot of these success stories, Jokic being chief among them. Uh, that's one of the main reputations that the Nuggets front office has around the league at this point is their ability to connect with international prospects, uh, their willingness to take chances on those guys and the information that they're able to get. A lot of that obviously is connected with Arturis. He's been great uh, that's obviously probably his his biggest skill that he brings to the table. Uh, some of the other things I, I know that you've talked about, he's just a very shrewd guy. He knows exactly what he wants. He knows exactly how to get it a lot of the time. And to me, like I, you could probably speak to this a little bit better, but he seems like a guy who has a plan and will go to almost any means to execute it. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he's very pragmatic. He's a very pragmatic guy. Um, he won't, um, he is, he's determined and pragmatic. And I think that that part really, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say he's driven in the way that you would normally think of it. He is competitive. Um, one of his big things is that he's been, he trained, uh, MMA training. Uh, he was obsessed with it. Um, and I told this story on Twitter. I was uh, standing in the hallway of the of uh, Pepsi Center, right next to the entrance to the lounge, and uh, it was a preseason game. And I was just looking at my phone, leaning against the wall. Arturis comes down the hallway and kind of seeks me out. He started, you know, BSing, and uh, the first thing I talked to him about was MMA. That's it, it, uh, wrestling, MMA competition, and sure. the the way he. Uh, and how he was so 
about how he approached it. And uh, he enjoyed talking about it a lot. And in fact, uh, there were times that I thought he enjoyed talking about that more than he liked talking about Nuggets to relate stuff particularly at that time because the nuggets weren't that great and he was just he was just really into it and then he and i kind of discussed the the brooklyn nets going after him and this yeah, i think that was 2017 and he kind of was looked very pained uh and i, I i'm the one who brought it up but my family likes it here i like it here i don't really want to leave but I, if this is there, I'm going to take it. And, it, you know, it turned out the, the Nets moved on uh, to someone else. They, how much he identified with this Nuggets front off. She enjoyed being here. And, and really do, I have seen his son uh, come into the basket, the, into the practice. Know how much he just really kind of ingratiated community. It was fantastic. And, um, it was a moment that I will, it's kind of burned into my brain because knowing Tim Connolly as well as I do, it was nice to see another side of that in the Nuggets front office of someone who's like, I genuinely like being here in Denver. And I, my only advice to him, quote unquote advice, was just do what's best for you. Um, I, he wasn't seeking it, I just gave it. And <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> you don't come to like, uh, at that point, I was probably about a hundred pounds more than I am right now. Some, you know, fat schlub looking at his phone in the in the hallway, and he just you don't come to that guy as a basketball guy, and uh, just look for advice. And I just blurted it out, and he smiled, and then he said, "You know, I you need to work on your." I've seen you. I've seen you dribble, and it was pretty sad. <laughs> It's always good to be put in your place by a professional basketball player. No, it was great. It was great. Uh, so, I anyway, I, I'm I'm rambling. Don't let me take over this pod. You, you, oh, you've you're heard good. my podcast. I, I I ramble for a half hour. Or so. Uh. Oh yeah, no, I wanted to I wanted to talk about Arturis and uh, yeah. So I'm I'm used to it with these guys already. Don't 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 you worry about it. Uh, but honestly, like Arturis is a guy who it, it's become increasingly clear over the past few years, just how much the Nuggets front office values him. And he brings a lot to the group. What do you think they will miss most about having him around on a day-to-day basis? Um, um, and not not that any, there was a, what I would just, are people in the Nuggets front office that identify with each other, and they all tend to be Eastern European. And uh, he was, you know, of course, part of that. And he definitely provided a, a, a leveling. And they really do. And I think it, it, I wrote an article on this, one of the last articles I ever wrote uh, for My Life Sports magazine a couple of years ago. And I talked about how Tim is, uh, Tim Connolly's front office kind of structure is very egalitarian. Everyone kind of contributes equally and he's the he has the final say but everyone contributes equally and everyone plays their part it really is a well-oiled machine it's going to be interesting how to see how the nuggets adjust to this i'm curious to see how calvin booth is going to stay and I, i'm wondering i mean i there was some question if is it if calvin would uh, be going with 
Arturis, but I don't, I mean, I, I don't see that. I think I've seen their candidates that uh, they want to interview and none of them happen to be Calvin. So I think they'll probably promote Calvin Booth, right. uh, who's great. Well, um, Calvin got an interview a couple years ago with the Timberwolves, didn't he? Yes, he did. He so, is, I mean, it, it's, Arturis got one with the Bucks, and um, to stop him from going, they made him the GM yeah. um, and promoted, you know, Tim Conway to president of basketball operations. And then if, yes. if Tim had left to go to Washington, you know, it would have been Arturis Kurnosovas taking over as president of basketball operations. Yes, and that would have been a change. That would have been a, a fundamental change too. I mean, there, there's yeah. there is a dynamic uh, within this front office that's very unique. And uh, let's you know, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. That this will change the way the Nuggets approach things because Calvin Booth is is not the same as Arturis Kurnosovas. Right. Um, and then it's and, a matter of who they get to replace Calvin Booth. Like, who do you add to the front office as that new voice? Mm-hmm. I, if I was them, and this is just me, and I'm not saying this as someone who knows anything. I'm just saying this as an opinion. Uh, I would promote Rafael Juke to assistant general manager. Same. Yep. Interesting. That's how I'm hoping uh, they keep him, honestly, because otherwise I think he'll go to Chicago. So yes, I, I that is that is I would really am hoping they don't lose that. Uh, Roth, Roth is so valuable to them. Something else, man. Yeah, he's so Long valuable. Unsung hero. He came directly from. Uh, he was writing for Draft Express, is if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, overseas. He was an overseas correspondent. Yeah, yeah, and he's still pretty young. I don't think he's even thirty yet. If I remember correctly, he may be over thirty now. But he is he. Was and Roth was one of the first people I actually met within the Connolly front office structure back in thirteen, and um, I knew he was a shooting star when I saw him. I mean, he he's re- knows his stuff on American players, European players. I mean, he knows what these people are doing, and he's got this got got it down. And I think he would be invaluable for the Nuggets to keep, and I hope they do keep them. Agreed. Yep. yep. That's my hope, and that's what I'm expecting to see happen um, in much the way they kept Arturis by giving him the GM role. I would expect them to bring Ruffall, you know, full-time stateside and, and give him the uh, – promote him to assistant GM. But, I mean, we'll see what happens. You never know what the candidates are. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is I'm working off of who I know, not who I, you know, who I don't know. But I would hope that they're able to keep Ruffall, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was a good conversation about Arturis. Uh, we have some other things that I know that you want to get to. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the greatest nuggets of all time. All right, we're back. This is the Denver Stiff Show. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, joined today, of course, by Zach Mikosh, Gordon Gross, and, of course, the Kingham Thornton himself, Jeff Morton. Uh, That's how everybody should be uh, giving you your title. Like, you cannot say Jeff Morton by itself. Has to be King of Thornton. (laughs) Everyone refers to King. Uh, (laughs) Mr. King. It's King. Uh, Mr. The uh, King, yeah. It's because it, and it's 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 all because of. It's like oh yeah, 
He, he says, can we help you down from Thornton? He's like, I've been to that guy for everything. Yep. <laughs> and then it everyone's stuck. like, oh, it's good. It did. Twitter came. Thornton, but I, 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 yeah, I just friggin' Nate miss that guy. <laughs> <laughs> good dude, good dude for sure. Uh, I want to get into this greatest nuggets bracket that we've been doing over at Denver Stiffs. We've been trying to fill the airspace, of course, because not a lot's going on right now. And I thought I, we've we've had a couple of different thoughts about how to best push content over the course of the next few months, just because there's there's not going to be a lot. And we thought, okay, hey, this is a good idea. Let's let's talk about the greatest nuggets in franchise history. It wasn't ultimately going to pan out like this. I figured that we were just going to debate them and rank them ourselves. But we ultimately came up with the idea of putting out a bracket that the fans would vote on. And these are Denver Stiffs readers, just people out in the world who are interested in the bracket. Uh, and there were a lot of different opinions that I would mostly say were skewed younger uh, yes. and I think that's that's pretty clear based off of the results because it looks like Nikola Jokic is going to win this entire thing going away over Carmelo Anthony in the championship. So, Jeff, I'm going to start with you because I, I have a feeling that you've got some opinions on this. Uh, what are some of your general thoughts about how the bracket played out? Um, y'all youngsters need to be older is what I think. <laughs> Educate yourselves. Educate because I mean I, I the and you guys actually talked about about it in the last podcast last week. The um, recency bias is a, is a thing, um, and it goes for style of play in the NBA, perception of stars. It goes for yeah. everything like that. It is hard not to be prisoner of the moment. If you would have told me Jeff Morton, sixteen year old Jeff Morton in nineteen ninety four, that. Um, who's the greatest player you've ever seen? I would have said Lafonso Ellis, right? I would yeah. have said Lafonso Ellis. Still said that, that too. <laughs> yeah, I, yep. I and I still say that Zach and I have a bond over Lafonso Ellis. Uh, you, me, and Tim Gelt. Okay, and it, it is something that we have in common. Uh, I I love Fonz, and if someone said uh, we, were, I was talking to someone about, uh, I was bitching about social media. Uh, in my old man way. And uh, he said, now think back to you at age 16. And he said, if, would you have taken advantage of social media with you had that access to that technology when you were 16 years old? And I said, of course I would have. But I said, all teenagers have dumb points of view, right? <laughs> <laughs> True words. Yeah, never Ryan. <laughs> Hey, hey, <laughs> simmer down over there. <laughs> and, and, and when I was 16, I was an idiot. And I, I my scope of things, although Alex, I, if you would have asked me back then, I would have said Alex English is the best, probably the best ever. I would have said Lafonso Ellis because he was my favorite. But Alex English, even now, I would say Alex English. Um, that's the thing. And the, the, I knew it was going to go to Jokic because the recency bias is huge. Right. And I don't know how you can remove it because there's not enough people like me and Gordon and, and Zach out there. There's just there's more people who are only watching the Nuggets from the lens of now. And there was a big gap. Let's face it, guys. There was a big gap between 2013 and when they went to the 
Yep. And if all you know is that, and you kind of spend the better part of your teenagers, it's like the people who grew up from the, with the Nuggets from 95 to 2003, thinking that the only player that they saw that was any good was Antonio McDyson. He was really fucking good. Then maybe that's your only perspective. You move on to 2003, Carmelo Anthony gets in. There's a lot of people who grew up in the mid-2000s who think Carmelo Anthony is the best thing to ever come to Denver. Right. And it is just based on when you – and I I have a theory that your perception of basketball is formed when you're a teenager. It is just – it's set in stone. So like me, I just parcel the 90s basketball, Right. Right, sure. Um, I watched I watched Michael Jordan, you know, live from yes. you know about 1990 on. So yeah, like that's that's my impre- first impression of basketball. Like I've grown with the times, I like to think, but something uh, there's something about an era where you appreciate, even if it's not, even if it doesn't set your opinion in stone, it helps you appreciate the era more than if you. Yes, and and, and you were talking about the in in it's a kind of like brings up that Jordan, the, the Jordan documentary that's coming out right uh, on the last dance about the 97, 98 bulls. That is the least interesting bulls team. They could possibly be doing a documentary on. I agree with that. The 92, 93 bulls where Jordan was going through all that crap and yep. it led to his retirement would be a fascinating documentary. Yeah, but they're, ne- they're never going to give you that, man. <laughs> I know. That was a gambling suspension. They're never going to give it to you. <laughs> I know. Like, I know. He didn't go play <laughs> baseball out of the goodness of his heart. Like, that yes. wasn't a thing. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm watching this thing the whole time thinking, you know what? Michael Jordan, his dad gets murdered. He, he like, has gambling problems. Uh, he gets in trouble with his buddy Barkley. Uh, he gets in trouble with his buddy uh, Charles Oakley. Yeah, <laughs> He's just, there are things that are going on. Then that's interesting. The ninety-seven, ninety-eight, man, because ninety-six yeah. was you know trying to get you're adding Rodman to this team and everything is going sideways. And you're trying to figure out how to get those guys. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just it's they picked the. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to consume that like you would not believe. Oh yeah, but. I uh, just would, it would not, that's just a personal thing. I just would have preferred because I think the 91, 90 to 93 Bulls were the best version of the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. The, the 95, 96 Bulls get a lot of credit, but that was an expansion year. Yeah. There was a lot of crappy basketball that year. I can tell you as someone who watched a lot. I remember of- it. <laughs> there was a lot of crappy basketball. The league was thinned out. That's why they won 70. Kind of like when the uh, the Golden State Warriors won 73 and there was all those teams tanking that year. Right. It's, sure. it, it takes a certain set of circumstances here. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling here, guys, but go, come inside. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> well, coming back. Uh, with- oh, no. I, I want to I talk about the – let's talk about the 93-94 Nuggets because that that's one of the ones where – Dikembe Mutombo was the he was a one seed in our bracket and he was voted upon by the fans as a one seed. And one of the reasons why I think that was was because he's been on all of these commercials with State Farm and and doing all these 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 no, no, no rejection commercials. And just because prisoner of the moment, you know who he is. He's a very recognizable face. I have a feeling that he got he got in over David Thompson purely because of that. Well, and the other thing you have to remember oh, yeah. about uh, Matumbo is he had the most iconic photo in Nuggets history is Matumbo, right? So, yeah. like, 
that yeah. everybody knows that shot of him holding the ball uh, on the ground. And and so when you think of that, you think, wow, Matumbo, he was you know he was great. He he has this super iconic moment in our in our team's history, but. One of the reasons it was iconic was just because, you know, I mean, the Nuggets were kind of going into this new era. They were very similar um, in a lot of ways to the, the, the Nuggets are now in that they had this this new, they were coming off of what had been a successful era before, trying to come up with their new identity, had went through some down years, and, and now had found this young core and this young team, and, and Matumbo was, was the leader of that. But when you think about it, like, for a ton of really weird circumstances, that, that core ended up just completely falling apart. And not going anywhere. And when you take the body of work of Matumbo compared to an Alex English, a, uh, a David Thompson, a, a even a Nicole Jokic at this point, like it's he, he really doesn't stack up as a one seed, right? He he probably is like a two seed, and it should have obviously been David Thompson above him. But nobody knows David Thompson. There wasn't you know there wasn't a ton of uh, there wasn't obviously a ton of uh, media around the NBA at that time. Like the NBA was when David Thompson was at his prime with the Nuggets. The NBA was. Uh, and the ABA, for that matter, was struggling to, you know, to maintain relevancy. So it's it, people just it's just there's no recognition there of of Thompson and, and the player that he was. And even and that's not even confined to this um, to this bracket. That's confined to just like the history of the NBA. Like David Thompson is one of the greatest scorers the NBA has ever seen. And, and when you talk about greatest scorers in the NBA history, nobody ever thinks of him. Jeff, I want to ask you about and and we'll talk we'll talk about that in particular i was just thinking that it was interesting that he made a one seed and and when we're talking about this bracket in general uh the one seeds i would expect to be the pillars of nuggets franchise history just just the guys that you like even your mount rushmore for example um who would be on your nuggets mount rushmore after seeing just the way that this franchise has progressed okay are we talking favorites or are we talking best uh, let's talk about greatest. Full disclosure, during this segment of the podcast, Jeff's mic cut out. He said Alex English, David Thompson, Carmelo Anthony, and Nikola Jokic. Back to your schedule programming. You put him over that's Daniel, exactly, huh? Yeah, that's I, exactly what I had. I, I, here's the thing. I want there. I know you do. I think Dan Issel deserves to be on there. I think Dan Issel himself would tell me I'm nuts. So probably. <laughs> and, and honestly, if you look at Carmelo or at um at Nikola's first five, as you're looking at Jokic, like he's not going anywhere. Another decade, you know, he's going to be the greatest Nugget of all time. And you're like, sure, until he leaves. There's, yeah. there's no. Jokic at the moment. He's great. They're building around him. He's going to be an all-NBA guy again. Like, he's obviously one of the greatest Nuggets. The question is, what's he going to do with that? And we don't know yet, so you either say, yes, I believe it's going to continue on this path. You know, he has the best chance to win a title, so I'm going to put that guy on there. Or, but yet, and so I can't put him on there. You know, uh, you know I... It, it... Let me put Dan Issel into context here. Issel's run from his last year in Kentucky, uh, he retired. So from 74 to 1985, he won an ABA championship, went to an ABA finals, yep. went to two Western Conference finals, had a, um, 
was on and made the NBA All Star was uh, scored a crap load of points was the first basic in NBA history. He so and he's underrated, and yet he by far in terms of actual success is the most successful Nugget yep. ever. Yep. Yep. Or went to two Western Conference Finals. No player, no other player went to a finals like that. It is a success. You can't beat him. However, he is penalized by the fact he played his first six years in the ABA. Right. ABA, in terms of talent, was probably a little ahead of the NBA by the time 1976 rolled around. Sure. The players that came into the league made the league better when they came in. I mean, the Nuggets won 50 games their first yeah. year. Um, so even though that was the case, he was penalized by that. And the fact that the, from the early, early 80s, the Nuggets were going through that period with Donnie, Donnie Walsh and Doug Moe in the early years, and they weren't really that good, kind of knocks him back a little. But at the same time, it's so long ago. People don't remember Dan Issel playing no, or they remember the coach if they remember him at all. Yeah, exactly. That's what elevates him. By the way, is is the ninety three ninety four team bringing it yeah. all back? That's what sure. it really was. Um, he coached the Denver Nuggets to their most iconic moment. Let's face it, guys. The Nuggets never got any better than that image of Matumbo on it because you know that upset was so big that. I would put put this in the context for people who are who are too young to remember. It had never happened, um, and the Nuggets were not that good that year. <laughs> they weren't. They snuck into the playoffs, man. Wow. Yes, they had to go on a five. They won four of their last five games in order to sneak into the playoffs that year. And we're down because, 0-2 to start that. And season. we're down 0-2. Yes, and they just. That team was not that good. However, that coaching job he did, I talked to, and this is this is something I did for uh, years ago, 2013. I wrote an article on Stiffs about Dan Issel, and I talked to someone who was a confidant of did Jerry Sloan, and he said Jerry Sloan said that was the best coaching job he had ever seen in his life was that Nuggets Utah series, which is I think is the best playoff series in Nuggets history. Right. I've I've never seen anything like it, and I don't think I ever will again. Um, he coached and, and, and actually watching the games back that team, that Nuggets team, what did they had zero spacing. They gutted out offensive. When he's watched game five, supersonic. <laughs> how many offensive or, or how many, uh, 20 Nuggets had that game and they still won. And it's because they gutted it out. And in, at every single one of those players, except for maybe the exception of Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf, would credit Dan Issel and said that was just he, they were he just motivated them in a way that they could be motivated. And for that, for that, for me, he is up there for is just with with me. I don't know necessarily if everyone is going to look at it that way because once again, I was sixteen, when, so. Yeah, let me give you let me give you my perspective on it because as as what I would probably consider a new fan, I'm 23 years old. Obviously, I didn't see all of those moments, or for the the matter, most of them. Uh, 
when I look back at Nuggets history, just just going back through some of these clips, going back through some of these really important games, the four players that really stood out as the defining players of each Nuggets era and each Nuggets peak so far were David Thompson, Alex English, Carmelo Anthony, Anthony and Nikola Jokic. And it, it wasn't for a lack of effort on Dan Issel's part, but the problem with him was that even as good as he was, he kind of bridged the gap between the what was David Thompson's team, in my opinion, and what was Alex English's team. Those those guys were the the defining players in both of those eras. And if you're if you're in for longevity and and success over a number of years, then Dan Issel, of course, is your guy, and he should be on this list for sure in terms of most talented and and impressive Nuggets careers. I'd say he's probably in the top four, certainly. Uh, But if you're defining the Mount Rushmore for Nuggets players, I think, honestly, Nikola Jokic, with the way that he has brought this team back from the abyss, uh, I think he he deserves some merit there. Well, let me see what they do with him next year. Like, I got to say, watching him this year, uh, they were still good. uh, And it was... Their offense of just pick and rolls and and hope somehow worked, but it's not what I expected to see from a Jokic offense, honestly. Did you oh, guys yeah. see Arturis Karnasovas' quote about the style of basketball he prefers? No. Did you guys happen to see that? Okay, it's on the. He likes motion, read, and react. How much of the last two years? Very little. In Not a lot. Um, I'll just just put it to you this way. That's the way that Arturus has always and in the way he prefers offense to be run in general. So I'll just I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, and there I mean there were there were certain pieces, of course, that that left during the the prime of Jokic ball that that weren't necessarily around for the last couple of years. Notably, some assistant coaches that we don't even we don't have to get into that can of worms with Chris Finch. But uh, he gets he gets a lot of I, I'll just I'll just say it like honest. I mean, it's it's a real thing. Uh, Chris Finch gets a lot of the credit uh, for for what happened and how Nikola Jokic was used, and that didn't really go over well. And he has. Chris Finch has done a great job in New Orleans ever since going over there. He was with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins for a period of time. They were able to survive when DeMarcus Cousins got injured. They've transitioned from Anthony Davis to Zion Williamson. So they've they've done a lot of great things there. And the Nuggets, by extension, have really fallen off. So I, I think it's... it's Finch is going to go to Chicago. I'm not going to lie yeah. to you. The only th- to me, I would say, like, if, if Chicago lets Arturis... Um, Fire Jim Boylan because yep. Lord Jim Boylan needs to be fired. But <laughs> several for some times reason, it hasn't happened yet. But if that happens, <laughs> I assume Chris Finch is, is number one on the list. Yeah, he deserves it with with what he's done, with how he's played, uh, with the way that Archer certainly wants things to go. Uh, Jeff, I think you you sound very affirmative in that 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 should be something that Archer considers. Well, I mean, I I Art. I, I can't, without revealing too much, yes, there was there was an issue there. Um, 
I, I think I think when you get to a point where it is something that is a controversial subject, yeah. then not going to be a harmonious existence. Right. Um, I think that the Nuggets were as impressive as they were in 2016. They were just atrocious defensively. Um, and been better, much better since Millsap comes in that off, off season. They have been better defensively. Um, I will say this, and this is something that's going to rile people up. I do not connect with this team at all on a man. Um, it has been hard for me to do so. And I, and I can't really pinpoint why. Um, and it's not just me being nostalgic. I have enjoyed some really shitty Nuggets teams in the past. Um, so <laughs> you, right? I don't think, yes, I, look, I'm a Nuggets fan. I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> there are there are some I mean my one of my favorite time Nuggets team of all time is the 36 win Nuggets team before the 94 seat season all right that's the funnest team the I've fun ever team. seen yeah, yeah that was really fun that too. um but this this team I'm having a hard time connecting with I like the team last year more this year's not fun guys this year was not fun and I didn't I'm not like you were having fun either like you watched the dust ups with Murray and Jokic and it yeah. looked like they were, while they were winning. Like they it's not like the team is worse than last year. It was just a weird it it honestly felt like um like I was a you know, huge Broncos fan during, you know, the Elway years. Um and I always remember the documentaries where um you know, Mark Suarez talks about the repeat team and how much it sucked to mm-hmm. be on that team and how much of a slog it was. He's like, the first year where we won was fun. The second year trying to repeat was work. Like, it sucked. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, you know, it was good to win. And by the time we got done winning, we were like, great. I just want to go to bed. I'll tell you what, let's, let's pull on that thread a little bit after the break. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about this current Nuggets team. All right, we're back. This is the Denver Stiff Show. I'm Ryan Blackburn, your host. Again, joined by Zach Mikosh, Gordon Gross, and we're going to do it again. The th- the King of Thornton himself, Jeff Morton. Uh, <laughs> if only people could hear all the banter that goes on with us in the breaks. It's, oh, it's yeah. absolutely insane. If only it's they honestly, uh, they like we we always send things to commercial, and then that's that's when we let our hair down. And Jeff Jeff and Zach know know all about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I've let it go down so far. I'm not. I don't have much of it anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about this Nuggets team because you guys you guys were pulling on this thread a little bit on how this this season has been a little bit of a slog. It's been a little bit more stressful, uh, not as fun. There hasn't been a lot of joy. That's that's the word that I would describe. It's It's been a little bit joyless to try and get back to the point where they were and, and have fun with the games that they were having fun with. And winning just doesn't cut it that much anymore because there's a higher purpose that they have to get to. Uh, why do you think that is? And why do you think some of these teams that are – transitioning into success what why isn't winning 
something that drives them anymore and, and isn't as fun. Um, I think that the 90, okay, uh, let's get out of the 90s. The 2009-2010 Nuggets, <laughs> right? Uh, the one that was doing going gangbusters before George Carl got cancer. Yeah. That team was actually pretty fun. I, I'll be honest. They added of Aaron Aflalo, and they were they were I think within four games of the Lakers, or maybe three games of the Lakers by the time they hit the break. Right. And that team, until they reached the point where George Carl was. Uh, you know, had to go out with cancer. And that's, I think that's the first season I began covering the Nuggets. Until they hit that wall, um, that was a damn fun team. Uh, that was arguably better than the year before. They were, they, they, they were hitting a point where you're like, oh, I can feel it. And that Lakers team got Ron Artest specifically to guard Carmelo Anthony. Okay. That, that they made no bones about it. That's exactly why they brought in our test. Them. But that Nuggets sure. team ha- handled them in the regular season up until Car- Carl's departure pretty well. And of the Kobe Gasol run, that 9-10 team wasn't as good as the year before. So you saw an opportunity there. I was That was a fun team. Um, the 2012-13 team, fun. Fun team. Yeah. Fun team, right? Um, this last year's team, fun, but, but angsty. And I, I, and I guess that's kind of, and I'm trying to kind of uh, down. And I think it's because their coach is so, um, emotional at times that I think you feel that anxiety. And I, and I think that's probably where I, my mind is on it. I think Malone is rides the elevator the, and it sometimes comes across in the way he communicates to us and the way he communicates to the fans after game. And some of that is just the translation. It's not his fault. It's just it's the way he communicates. And I think that comes across, and I think that's why this year is so angsty, because he's angsty. I'll never forget. Uh, 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 Zach, were you at uh, Media Day this year? I was at Media Day. You were at Media Day. Okay, yeah, you were at Media Day. Uh, Zach, Zach, of course. Yeah. It's Zach, too. I was there. (laughs) 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 Well done, Ryan. Well done. (laughs) Um, And I asked uh, Michael Malone and Tim Connick during the press conference, and it was. The West, obviously, all those moves were made. Paul George going to the Clippers, you know, uh, the Lakers getting Anthony Davis, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you guys may be a better team, but win fewer games, right? It was a very good chance of that, and you could be a lower seed. And Tim was, like, right on the question. He's just like, yeah. that." And I asked it to both of them, and Conley was right on it. And he's like answered it, and he says, "Yeah, there's a very good chance of this, but you know, we understand the challenge ahead of us." Blah blah blah. Right, I remember that. Mike Michael Malone looked at me. Question. <laughs> that yeah. sounds right. 
And I think that shows you his frame of mind going into this year. And they were talking pretty big at that press conference, if you guys remember. And Malone, oh, yeah. they were talking really big. I think the the stress of the year came in. Plus, let's face it, guys, and I'm just going to throw it out there. The Michael Porter Jr. thing just hung over the entire year. It did. Yep. It did. And you can I, tell think, I think he definitely cramped several styles, including... I mean, I... I think he could have handled it a little better than he did, but there's some factors here, obviously, but that kind of just was hovering everywhere. And you notice that it just, I think that affected not necessarily the player alone specifically, but coming forward that just, just this team was just kind of the whole year. There was just something not right about him. And well, they, look, couldn't, they, they couldn't get healthy for stretches. Like yeah. they had weird injuries or weird playing situations. You had Jokic like, not in shape to start. Oh yeah, that Jokic was a big is, yeah. yeah. There was Jokic there was a Jokic's lot going on there. Yeah. Jokic not being in shape was uh we all saw that at the ping pong thing. Right. And I knew he was going to be coming in, you know, hefty, but I thought he was muscly. And that first month of the season, he was just—it was just sad he to was watch. A hefty yeah, but he got serious, and from that stretch when he started working out after every game, um, he became—that's the best stretch of basketball I've ever seen him play, right there. Yeah, yeah. I agree. De- that was basketball. Then he started retreating again. Uh, that just like the last what. 10 games. Yeah. Well, yeah. Last, last yep. After like three break. weeks or so. Yep. He goes to the all-star malaise. break or what, man? But yeah, it's, it's, it's a malaise. It's I mean, all I need to be is Jimmy Carter and wear a sweater and like give a, give a speech about how the American <laughs> public is in a malaise. Well, that's very, very much what Nikola Jokic was. Uh, I, at least that was my perception. Did you guys perceive it the same way? Uh, Zach, why don't you go ahead on that one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, it's man, I I hate to do this. I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't know Nicola. It's not like we hang out. Um, but like you know, it it just seems like he. he um, I I get. I don't know if I have a word as good as malaise. But um, he 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 ebbs and flows. Right, his his mood ebbs and flows. Um, and and you never know. Right, and and you don't know if it's something on the court, off the court, whatever it is. But you see it manifest itself on the court, and that. Um, that certainly happened. I mean, the whole team, the whole team seemed to be in just a sort of funk after the all-star break. And, and I don't, uh, it's kind of interesting. We don't really know what happened because then, you know, it was only a couple weeks after that, that the season is, uh, basically put on hold. Um, but, but there, there was certainly something going on after all-star break where these guys were not, they did not look to be in a good place. It was very weird. There was there was a lot going on, and it was crazy because they went into the All Star break. It was really good. Yeah, Jamal Murray was on fire. He he was great, and and Jokic was playing really well himself. And he had those games that that thirty twenty ten game with the against Utah. That was the 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 game, the magnificent seven game. Uh, there were a lot of of those small moments this year where you could see the makings of a fun basketball team. You could see the makings of a super talented basketball team. When, when looking at this roster, when looking at 
just the general makeup of everything. I never really questioned the talent of this group. There was very clearly a lot of pieces going in there. Uh, Jeff, you mentioned the the 29-2010 team. One of the one of the additions to that team that you didn't mention was Ty Lawson, uh, as just kind of this jitterbug point guard who really he he infused a lot more energy, I think, than what Anthony Carter was just able to provide at that point in his career. No offense to Anthony Carter, but those guys are just completely different in different places. He played almost every game. He played 65 games. He played 1,300 minutes, and he was just a guy that Malone was comfortable leaning into, kind of no matter what the circumstance. Or Oh, my gosh. Uh, George (laughs) Carl, he would lean into no matter what the circumstance, and where I'm getting to this is... Michael Malone never got to that place with Michael Porter Jr. Like it was, it was always on a leash. He was always in that place where he feel like he had to reel him back in after a mistake or two. We didn't play for his alma mater. So. That's what I was just gonna say that too. Because <laughs> Carl never played rookies. Carl like did not play rookies. Nope, but Ty Lawson got to play. Yeah. Well, and and with the 2012-2013 team, let, let's talk. Kenneth Fareed, for example, he he wasn't a rookie that year. That was his second season, but uh, George Carl gave him the keys. He, he was the starting power forward pretty much that entire season and, and played a major, major role in making that team what it could be. And they played fast. They played that style of basketball and were really good doing it. And I think the point that I'm trying to make here is that Basketball is really fun when your young guys are doing really well and growing into themselves. And this year, Jamal Murray kind of stagnated. Gary Harris didn't look the same player. Nikola Jokic obviously started the year pretty poorly, uh, then got his gear and his his head into gear and and really took off after that. And the the most fun stretch of basketball for this year by far was that December January stretch where Michael Porter Jr. was on the court every single game every single time for 20 minutes a game and really helping this team get through those moments and have a lot of fun times and be explosive and you could see what this team could be. Uh, I really do think that there's something to having new blood come into the team and, and really just giving them an infusion of energy. There, I was sitting in the arena. Um, I didn't attend a ton of games this year as a media person and by of course by february you know virus towns coming so everyone has to <laughs> lock down and, and like i here's my here is my perception the crowd was always angsty about michael porter jr play it was you could tell it in the atmosphere oh, yes. in the arena and you could probably i think that affected michael malone tremendously i think he he was probably going through a George Carl thing. If it wasn't someone who was playing it from, he wasn't from North Carolina. Um, he was not willing to really invest a lot in rookies. I think it was uh, a couple coaches that said rookies will you know get you fired, and I think that part is very true. Michael Malone did get a extension mid year. He got the same extension he signed last time which is to me interesting. Um, He is not the the people, you know, it's a two year extension, but it's essentially a one year extension because coaches, coaches don't play tend don't tend to play. Unlike your, unless you're Mike D'Antoni this year. Yeah. They they don't don't coach on the last year of their deal. Yeah. You don't coach on last year deal. I mean, that's what got George Carl fired because he was agitating for a new deal and he had a year left. That's, 
bet 100% one of the factors of George Carl getting fired in 2013. So uh, Malone gets us an extension. You would think that would release the pressure valve. It didn't. Right. And I think that part is has been the perplexing part for me. It's like just in relation specifically to Michael Porter Jr., the, well, and I understand that, that well, you know, the, the problem that Malone has is that Michael has no idea how to play defense oh, yeah, he's, he's, with principles. Yeah. His defensive yeah. principles are terrible. Yeah. Oh, they're But he's awful. also like an athletic 6'11 dude with a 7'3 wingspan or whatever. Like, he can make up for it. Yes. That's, that's the part that, that is troubling is, is Malone wants fundamentals first, and you're looking at a guy who can literally do anything on the court if you put him on the court. I mean, I you can't really find historical comps for Michael Porter Jr. the way that he plays. The number of points and the number of rebounds and playing outside and he's a weird, weird guy. He's if you want to call him another unicorn, he sort of is. And I don't know if Malone knew what to do with that. Especially since what he wanted from Michael was consistent play. And Michael hadn't played real basketball in three years and he's not gonna give that to you. I think I think if the Nuggets played a version of offense that was a little more free flowing, it would George be easier. Carl would have used Michael Porter Jr. Oh, oh man, like crazy. <laughs> Despite him being a rookie, George would have been like, "Get on the court and let's yeah. go." Yeah, just no, shoot it, and run. Yep. Just go. Just see hoop go and shoot, uh, run, rebound. That's it, yes, man. Exactly. Like, he would yell over the court until he runs out of energy. You pull him off the court. It's fine. And 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 there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for structure. And it's different styles. It's yeah. different styles. I, I, uh, Malone is a very structured. Um, he does tend to. Yes. He does tend to overcall plays, but he also defensive coaches tend to do that. So it's just part of their DNA. Um, I'll never forget uh, Pat Riley. I was a Knicks fan in the early '90s, as Zach probably knows. Right. I. I I loved Patrick Ewing. He was a big Patrick Ewing fan. Best drop step I've ever seen in a center. Um, when Pat Riley got to New York, he hate he one thing he just uh, drilled into them was that I hate turnovers. I hate turnovers. I hate turnovers. And the Knicks team, to one reason, one way to kind of like in the in defensive coaches' minds that you prevent turnovers is to reduce the possessions in the right. game. Right, slow down. Yep. And uh, Malone is very much in that school. He is he is very much part of that, and he he's came from the Knicks. You know, he's got that pedigree there. Yep. And uh, there dad is, was a dad was a was a Detroit coach. So yes, yeah. It's, it just there's that DNA in him. Sometimes, especially with the modern player, you gain confidence by having good offense and then, then you therefore you start playing good defense. And that I think is kind of anathema to Michael Malone. And I think that is why you get this kind of angsty always on a knife edge. Like, why did we blow a, why did we have a 25 point lead and then it gets down to 20 and I call a timeout kind of thing. Right. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's because, Great because they only scored five points during that stretch. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I, there's that, and, and I think that it, it just comes from his his mentality, and it's hard to unwire yourself like that. And I have sympathy for him because look, if you want to coach a certain way, you had 
won 54 games that last year. We're doing yeah, that. Absolutely. You don't want to have to deviate, but at the same time, your best players have to play. And it was clear to me, like through a stretch that December, January stretch that Michael Porter jr. Has the potential. I mean, that Indiana game, yep. and he did that side, that side step to hit the three. Yes. I was sitting there going like, there is not a single player on this Nuggets team who could do that. No one all. else could do that. It feels <laughs> like it was like a day of practice. Yes. Right. And, and, and I know sometimes five... that, that Michael Porter Jr. bothers people because he plays. Uh, you like to see guys drop a lot of effort in practice. You mm-hmm. like to see, you know what I mean? Like you get on the court by practicing really hard. That's Tory mm-hmm. Craig. Like Tory Craig is an effort guy. He will yeah. jump for every ball. He he works really hard at everything the coaches ask him to work at. And Porter doesn't look like he's working that hard. Yeah. It, he's it, when you're gifted, you don't have to look like you're working that hard. Like that's the way that it is. Yep. And, and so I understand that you you want to see the same the same effort appearance from everybody on the team, but it's just not going to happen. And I find it weird that guy, somebody who's obviously one of the most talented people on the team, had that much trouble staying in ball games—not just getting into them, but staying in them. Yeah, it, it was—it's something that that Mo's gonna have to work on because they didn't have a time this year with Porter to get him more than his 500 minutes because they didn't play him enough. And now you're gonna have the same problem next year. Do you make starter room for him? All three of your best players are not defensive players. You're looking at Murray, Jokic, and now Porter. They're not defensive guys. Grant's not either. I mean, Grant's okay, but mm-hmm. he, he has the athleticism to be good on defense, but it's not his strong suit. That's not actually what he does. He's yeah. good on defense like Marcus Camby was good on defense. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Help defense. Show up and look like... Don't disparage the defensive player of the year, Marcus. Oh Camby. man, why don't you? The revisionist history that has been right. done on Marcus Camby right. has been. And, and this is this is. Don't get me started on this. This is this. Uh, Ryan, cover your ears. This is why you cannot apply modern metrics to past performances. You just can't do it. They, they play differently. It's just. And then you apply Marcus Camby, who would fit right now very well. He would very much be a Clint Capella, right? Well, and, right? and his help yep. defense was astounding. His, yes. his actual defense wasn't that great, but his help defense. Yes. His weak never, side was unbelievable. <laughs> I will never forget. Uh, I was talking to a media member out here, and they said that uh, when, when Camby won Defensive Player of the Year in 2007, they were, they were like Tim Duncan was just like peals of laughter. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Coming I bet. from that, and it's like, yeah, people understood at that point in time. And he was the most selfish player I have ever seen in my life. He so, would uh, scream at people about rebounds, like you could hear him on the court. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, you would hear him. He would. He would. If you touched a rebound, if you came near a rebound that was anywhere near him, he would lose his mind. It was. It was impressive. I knew. It's and, insane. And, you. You reminded me. Just. I, I'm so sorry, Ryan. I'm talking over you, but I. I, I <laughs> You're good. I what that one thing can be yelling at people about rebounds reminded me of uh, at the end of the 2012, 13 season where I knew my first inclination that things were going sideways with Andre Iguodala. Oh, when he was yelling. Yeah, I remember that. We yelled at Kenneth Fareed for taking his rebound. How dare you steal my rebound? That was my rebound. Yep. And it was very loud. It was very, it was like, it was, I think it was the 56th, 56th win or 57th win. 
he yelled at Fareed, and I'll never forget, I sent uh, Andy and Nate a text message, and I said, he's gone. Yep. Jeez. And then I got some That's information insane. that he was cavorting with the uh, Golden State Warriors players Warriors in church. That was, yep. that was the that was a that's a whole other podcast. But right. uh, I will write a book about <laughs> about what that mf'er did during the playoff series, and oh, I, I it 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 will people will just be stunned at. at I mean uh, that the fact that people wanted him back on this team so badly, I just I can't. Oh, makes my blood boil, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, man, you're talking to people with Zach and I. When people started raising, like Ryan wanted, was like maybe we should get Iguodala this year, and I was like, you were not really aware. But let me explain to you, <laughs> you cannot bring Iguodala back to Denver. <laughs> <laughs> sit, sit, sit down. Let me tell you a story. Uh, <laughs> no, honestly, like he, he's. Like like Campy, he's one of those guys who every everything that a statistical person would look at would say this guy is great. This guy is a great fit. He's a a wonderful player. But basketball is so much more than that. And that's one of the things that covering the team this year, figuring things out, and just just kind of growing as an individual. That's one of the things I've learned is that it's so much more than just points, rebounds, assists, and whatnot. So now I totally hear you. Big, big choice ahead of him, like. How do you keep like you could roll this whole team back, really? Um, I mean, you probably wouldn't keep both Plumley and Millsap. You'd keep one of them. Um, but most of the team is coming back next year if you want them back. So yeah, is me, that going to work to run it back a third time? You know. Let me ask Jeff then. Uh, yeah. Jeff, give me your prediction for next year's starting lineup. Oh, the starting lineup. Oh shit. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. Well, Jokic, obviously, um, Good Murray, <laughs> Murray, uh, boy, I'm going to have to throw Michael Porter jr. In there. Cause they're going to have to start him. Um, cause if it's Tory Craig, I will tear my clothing and right. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <Washington, man. laughs> I will. <laughs> he is Malone's my, uh, Anthony Carter to he a is. T. Um, and uh, let's see here. Two, I would move Barton to the two and uh, start Grant and bring uh, Millsap off the bench if he resigns. See, that Jeff would be and I are ideal starting lineup for sure. That's the way I think they should go. Will Will Malone actually do that? That's another question. Yeah, you're right. Um, but again, it's all, it's all Michael Porter Jr. I just I don't know how Tim Tim and, and Mike Malone have to get sit down and make sure they're on the same page about the lineup. Because you can't, you can't sign a guy that I don't think Tim Connolly has ever been less than nuclear glowing about Michael Porter Jr. Um, yeah, and and not have him getting legit minutes. Like there's a legit disconnect there, and they're gonna have to iron it out. Um, because that's a big part of the team. Like you need a guy like that. You need a mismatch like that to help both your star center and your star point guard. It's uh, it I there is just uh, no. You have to play your best players. You just you have yeah. to. And 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 Porter with all his flaws, and they are fun. They are they're. Yeah, his, he's a young player. Man. He's got some yeah, flaws. His defensive flaws are very big, but his defensive awareness is um lacking. His <laughs> yes, yes, his ability to not ball watch is non-existent. <laughs> well, let's just let's just 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 
like say that they're going to have to put some sort of defensive anything into his his brain, just yes. even cursory, just so you don't have to be great. He he needs uh, to like you know yeah mail away for like you know defensive principles books or something like. So Mello was a terrible defensive player, but he played good defense the first three games of the uh, Lakers uh, yes, Western Conference did. Finals. And even though Kobe scored a lot, he did play good defense and he tried. So I will take trying. Okay, that's well, all I, I'll I, take. I would even say that Michael Porter doesn't try. It's just that he yeah, doesn't necessarily know what he's it. supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. Like if you put him on ball and you're like, don't let that guy get where he's supposed to go. He's like, sure, either gets by me and I block him or uh, whatever. It's your guys rotating. Where are you supposed to be, Michael? It, it's, so, it's that stuff that he doesn't have yet because he's just rusty. They're going to so have to figure it out. It's it's notable, I think, that even as this podcast has has transpired, it's talking about history, talking about Arturus Karnasovas. It this entire topic has come back to Michael Porter Jr. and he's the guy that we're going to continue to spend time talking about because he just it's so clear that he is that important to this team, that he is that important to the makeup of this group going forward. And if if you're potential starting lineup is right uh jeff it's murray barton porter grant Jokic. that that to me feels right that to me feels like the the way that things are going to progress um it's it's a good team it's it's if if things click and if things are on the same page then i i think that team could be the backbone of a championship squad Porter is 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 important for this Nuggets team for one very specific non-basketball related reason, and that is because the Nuggets cannot, probably cannot get a free agent. Yep. With his talent. Nope. And the realization of that, I think, came to the Nuggets last year. That this is just my opinion, but when Woj suddenly started tweeting about Porter being a free agent signing, basically, yep. last year. I think that that um, free agency is not going to to be able to supplement. When you got someone with Porter's talent, uh, immense, immense talent, hands out because he raises this team ceiling by a lot. So one uh, one residual question that I have there is about Gary Harris. Uh, he's obviously somebody who he did not mention. He's struggled over the past couple of years to both stay healthy and to shoot efficiently, just play the part of the the role player around Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. What do they do with Gary Harris? Um, I, if it was me, I mean, look, he has been in every trade rumor. Right. It's been he has been. Years. It's called. It's now called the Denver Nuggets Gary Harris trade rumor because it's just. It's, it's always him. And there's a reason for that. And I think it became very clear to me a couple of years ago when he had a, a, a mysterious injury that, that just happened. And I'm sorry, it's calling it mysterious because at the time when he got injured, it turns out it was like a, uh, like a, like an ankle or something like that, but he got injured and there was a point where it had become, this is going to be happening every single year. This is, it doesn't matter. Gary is, and it's not a injury prone thing. It's because he is a six foot three and a half, six foot four shooting guard. And he gives max effort on defense and he's just going to get injured. 
that's just the way it's going to happen. Because and he bulked up. He felt like he had to bulk he, yes. up size wise. He's carrying too much muscle, in my opinion. Yes, he bulked um, up. And he's injuring himself because he's he's too muscular and not loose enough. But then he lost a lot of weight over this past off season, and it still happened. It still it still transpired that way that even without that extra weight, he he wasn't able to stay healthy. Well, and that, that's where I'm. I'm that the point I'm like, coming to actually is uh, is that he. I think the injuries finally took the toll on him to where he's lost a bit of a step. He can still be good on defense, uh, but his shooting was atrocious this year. Absolutely atrocious. I He went through a stretch where he couldn't hit a shot, and some of that injury-related. Yep. Some of that is Gary Harris just wasn't a good shooter. Right. Uh, he had one year, <laughs> and then the rest of yeah. it was not been great well and the problem is 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 your he's basically your more skilled tory craig Mm -hmm. but that's not how you're playing him no and that's not how you're paying him either so i get it but you're gonna have to figure something out with gary because he's absolutely got talent but you can't be sidelining guys who can score and who can do more things i mean will barton can you know play a passable defense, especially against shooting guards, where he's much longer than them, or much longer than he would be against small forwards? Um, Will is the one that I, I mean, I, Gary. I don't think they're going to be able to trade him. To be honest with you, he's going to be here. Right. Um, Will is the one where I think over he really showed this year. Um, sure was put in positions where he shouldn't be. He, if all things are equal, he's a great six man. Yep. Um, and they've been playing him at small forward and you have a undersized shooting guard and an undersized small forward and starting lineup. Yeah. And it's tough and a slow point guard. Yeah. And like it's no just, offense to Murray, but keeping up with those lightning quick, you know, Damien Lowers of the world is tough when you're, it is, you're just not that kind of player. And you need you need someone who is Michael Porter Jr. size at that that right. at the at the three or at yep. least someone who could be a three four, and I think that where the Nuggets have just where their gap in their performance has been, Martin has been good defensively this year. I will yep. I will give him credit a lot for yep. being a good defensive player, but the gap is that's going to catch up with you, particularly in the playoffs. Yep, absolutely. If anyone remembers uh, the um, Rodney oh, Hood, Rodney Hood, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, Rodney he was buckle, as we call it. All he was yeah. doing was being taller than the than the guy who was guarding him. That's all he was doing. Yep. <laughs> well, and, and that's, that's why we want Michael Porter Jr. to do that to other people. Like that's the whole point. Is yes, he's he's got that Gallo thing where he's too big for threes and too quick for fours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you you want to let that guy go and do his thing, and the Nuggets have to figure that out, man. Like I don't, I keep saying they can't keep both Barton and Harris, but they keep keeping both of them. So obviously they can do it. They can't. They can. They can keep both of them. It's just that the roles have to change. If they you're going to put Porter, you you can't start both of them. If Porter's going to be in the starting lineup, uh, then. 
Barton can be your offensive guy. Gary Harris can be your defensive guy at the two. Uh, Barton can slide to the three in some lineups. But other than that, like it, it just feels very straightforward. And I, I think they could probably be fine with either guy going forward, whether it's Harris or Barton, as long as Porter's out there, as long as he's the guy at the three who's taking some of those extra touches and taking some of that extra attention and being the big mismatch threat that, let's face it, none of those guys can be. Tell you what, guys, the was thinking about this Nuggets team. Imagine the way they play now. If they had, say, I don't know, a six foot ten um, Italian on the roster. I know it. I know it. Who uh, can space the floor and is can post people up, yep. right? And the Gala Dan- Danilo Gallinari has actually gotten better the last two years, right. which I didn't think was going to be possible with his injuries. I've, I keep telling people this. If you watch the Portland game after he his second game as a Denver Nugget, he scored 38 points and was the most dominant player on the court. Right. That was the Gallo that we were all hoping we would get, and that's the Gallo who could take over games. Obviously, him into something completely different. Those two players are not the same. But Danilo Gallinari, who's playing right now, who is hitting 40-something percent on three-point shots, is exactly what this Nuggets team would need, right? right? So you would hope that Michael Porter Jr. could be that guy, right? With more you would, rebounds. With like, more, yeah. It, it'd be someone who is willing to bang inside, although Gallo can do it. But it's someone who's, Gallo can, but I'm just saying, uh, just out of principle— Michael Porter Jr. hits the rack. I don't he know is, why. He's, he's got I never expected him to. But that I, he is the best like rebounder. I, 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 that was the biggest revelation to me about with, with Michael right. Porter Jr. was his rebounding. I, I just <laughs> me too. I just I just, it is so stunning why he he grabs the ball and wants it, and that's ninety percent of rebounding is wanting it. He's wanting right? it, yeah. And he he gets it, and he wants it, and he gets out, and he you know it, sometimes when they let him go up the court, he's going to make a good decision and get to the rack. So, look, I, if you have that in your starting lineup, someone who could make person as you were saying, Gordon, I, this team is just going to be so much better, so it much better. Them up, it, it lets them yeah. do more offensively than they could do this year, because in the what playoffs last pick and roll. <clears throat> and so they were like, well, I guess we're a pick-and-roll team now. And I I get it. It, it translated to... With as much creativity as they had two years ago uh, with their offense while using a... <laughs> and two shooting guards on the court at the same time. Yeah. Maybe three. Three shooting guards on the court at the same time. Well, it, tr- it translated to Gary Harris dribble handoffs, Will Barton pick and roll dribble handoff. Just all three of those guys, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, they play in very similar ways. Uh, and Jamal Murray's the best at it, and I think that's fairly clear based off of the past couple of years. But and he's he's the guy who I expect to take another step. And if he gets that opportunity, and he's the only guy who's doing those things on the team, then maybe he gets some of those extra opportunities, and he turns into a star. A star. The Nuggets descend into what I like to call dribble. And oh, yeah. They, <laughs> and rubs great, man. Oh. And it becomes robotic. And I was talking to at uh, Pep Center afterwards, one of those games, and I said, just all they're doing is those freaking dribble handoffs. I just want to go down there and scream at them. 
just 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 do something else, and then it just becomes one five pick and roll. Yep, one five pick and roll. Exactly. <laughs> it, it feels like their version of a Princeton offense or whatever, where you're like, <laughs> and, and I would get that if they didn't have like literally the most talented offensive big to ever live on the court. And you know the funny thing is about this, and then the people have like, I think I may have told Ryan this at one point in time. Phil Jackson would love Nikola Jokic. Would just yeah, uh, he'd be great in a triangle. Yeah. Oh my god, and the Nuggets under. Uh, triangle sets and this is like vary it up people just like have i mean you don't have to run the triangle but what i'm saying is like vary it up put him in the pinch post get him out there the the corner or like get people cutting like 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 they used to more corner three it and it would become this offense would become unstoppable but this and I think Michael Porter Jr. comes in because you need someone who can create on his own score. You just you, and, you're going to need that guy to get stops, like by just some, having some guy in his way. You can't yeah. just put some guy in Michael Porter's way, like some rando who switched onto him. Yep. So I, I want a yes or no answer from everybody. I'll start with Zach. Can that starting lineup that Jeff? Had he floated earlier, the Murray, Barton, Porter, Grant, Jokic lineup, can that starting lineup take the Nuggets to their first NBA Finals in the next three to five years? I am a big believer in Michael Porter, so I'll say yes. Gordon? I mean, if you told me next year, I wouldn't necessarily think so, because I think Michael Porter's going to hit that wall that you would get normally as a rookie, but because he hasn't gone more than you know, 50, 60 games into a season now... <laughs> I still expect him to hit that next year. So I, I think maybe he's going to have a bad playoff performance. But you give me. T- I'm giving you three to five. I mean, I can't guarantee any of those guys going to be here in five years. <laughs> don't give me five. There's a large Serbian population in Chicago. It's just yes, there out. is. Zach and I can. Yep. I think people get mad at us. They're like, ah, oh, doomsayers. <laughs> and we're like, you guys are... I, I just say, I mean, I am a, I am a fellow Balkan. I am a, of Croatian descent. My parents moved to Colorado. Where do you think they moved from? Yep. I, I can, I can take one guess and probably be right. Uh, uh, Latvia. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, close. Close. I'm going to say what period. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeff, yes or no? Yes. Yes, I think yes, they're yes, 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 yes. I, I, I agree yeah. with you. And, and of the fact that we're all four yeses on that, like this this team is still on the right track. There, there are some, some other various pieces that we can complain and bitch about and or maybe there's there's some nitpicking that can go on but overall like this this team still is on a great track so i'm gonna leave it there like it's know who you're gonna be like who do you want to be and right now Malone wants to be a defensive team but they don't have any defensive players so that's not really helpful yeah we need to stop that um (laughs) well that's that's all i've got for you guys uh do you do you guys have any parting thoughts before we take off 
Um, I would like to thank you guys for having me on. And uh, if ever you uh, want to have a podcast full of old man uh, bitching uh, again, I will be glad to come on. I'm here for it, man. I think your site needs more. Old man bitching. I agree. Old man bitching. (laughs) So just just keep that in mind. Well, I've been trying to get Gordon to write that Thursday article, but he's he's uh he's holding out on me, man. <laughs> some of us are still working. Most Ryan, what? Some of us have day jobs. Some this people is, uh, still work. This is a roast session on this podcast now. <laughs> uh, that's gonna do it for this episode of the Denver Stiff Show. Jeff, thank you so much for for coming on man really appreciated your perspective and and it was really just good to connect with you again this is this is this quarantine sucks it's it's really put into perspective how much i miss the denver nuggets media contingent oh well, anytime man I, and uh it's nice to talk to gordon and zach again and we've been it's been a while since i've talked to you guys so uh, uh anytime you want me on i'll be on awesome Well, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, We will have more episodes going forward, maybe even some old man bitching episodes going forward. But in the future, we'll see you guys next week. (laughs) 